Well, good morning once again. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Grateful to see all of you uh, here, and I know we're looking forward to, to lunch. So uh, you can set your uh, clock. We'll be out of here by 2. So anything above, anything short of that is a plus, right? All right, I'm going to ask if you would, uh, we're going to be continuing our thoughts of uh, living godly in a world that is godless, and I'm going to encourage you to turn with me to the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, and we'll be looking at verses 24 through 28. Matthew 16, 24 through 28. Let me preface this by telling you a story that uh, every time I read this text or hear someone refer to it, this story immediately comes to my mind. The late Wendell Winkler uh, told the story uh, in really addressing these points in this section from uh, his sermon from years and years and years ago. And he was talking about two young boys and they were walking by the riverside and the river was out of its banks. And so they're looking and they're observing. And uh, one of the young boys sees a, a rabbit out on an island. And so the young boy decides, I'm going to go out there and save that rabbit. So he dives into the water and he swims out there and he gets to the island and he takes the rabbit and he unfolds the, or undoes the top bib on his overalls to snap and he takes that rabbit and he shoves it down in there and he snaps it shut and then he takes back across the river and the current carries him away Tragically, he drowns, and so several miles down the river, they find his body, and the young man that was with him comes running up to him as he's laying there, his deceased body, and he unsnaps the top bib of his overalls, and he pulls out the rabbit, and he holds it up for all to see, and he says, this is that for which he died. What shall a man give? What shall a man give? If you should gain the whole world and lose your own soul, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? As we think about Jesus' statement here in Matthew chapter 16, let's notice our text this morning. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24 and following, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in glory, in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. 
Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste of death until they see the kingdom come with power. This last verse, 28, it's found three times in our gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each one of them records this statement wherein Jesus is identifying the fact that there are some who are standing there in his presence who would not taste of death until they see the kingdom come with power. So as we move into our Bible class hour this morning, we noted at the last hour that we are talking about godly living commanded. Now let's notice godly living demonstrated. Demonstrated. I don't know where I got this. Could be from the guy sitting right over here. Maybe. But what does godliness look like on you? What does it look like? You know, the statement that's found over and over again in the book of Leviticus, be ye holy. What does that look like on you? What does that look like on me? How can I demonstrate godly living? For godly living is to be demonstrated. It's not just a concept. It's not just something that is, oh, I wish I could do that or I wish I was. No, we, we need to be able to do what? Identify some ways and some things wherein I am living godly. Godly lives are demonstrated. When we think about Paul's instruction to the church at Colossians, and he says, now Christ in you is the hope of glory. How do I know Christ is in me? How do I know that? How do others know that? And I appreciate the mention of the evangelism program. And I'm going to ask you all to write down this name because I need you to pray for me and for this man. His name is Donald Wilhite. Donald Wilhite. I met him last week. We had one study together, and he was, he was at the verge of obeying the gospel. And then he became violently ill, physically, he just, he spent the last two days in the hospital. I texted with him coming up here yesterday, and I said, Donald, how are you doing? Da, da, da. And I said, I would love to get back by and see you. These are his words. Please do. I, I don't know anything about MRSA. Anybody medically in here know anything about MRSA? Medically, medically resistant staff. He had a procedure a month ago and he got this staph infection 
and he is battling it greatly. So I want you to pray with me and for me as we move on for Donald Wilhite. Pray, number one, for my wisdom and humility and pray for his kind heart, his obedient heart. So, what does it look like to demonstrate godly living? Surrounded by a physical world, man's greatest need is that which is spiritual. I'm going to say that again. Surrounded by a physical world, man's greatest need is spiritual. And as we live in a material world, we must be careful not to let the material world uh, control us or live in us. And Jesus knew the danger of this. Jesus knew the danger of being in this world but not being of this world. This world is a place where we are allowed and we have the opportunity to prepare our soul for eternity. I'll never forget when first time I ever heard that phraseology and it came from the late Thomas Warren and he said the earth, the world is the perfect veil making of the soul. Brother Warren, he tapped into that and he understood that this world is a place that is preparatory. We are preparing for something better. And so while we're here, we must constantly be aware that we're not here. Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense to y'all? While we are here, we're not here. I have a citizenship someplace I've never seen. My citizenship is where? Heaven. I can read, try to grasp the concept of what heaven is like. But I say this very reverently, and I hope you'll stay with me. I think even inspiration pales to give us an adequate description of heaven. We don't know what that's going to be like. Folks, that's where my citizenship is. So while I'm here, I can't afford to be here. My citizenship is in heaven. So while we are here, we must realize that the world in which we live, it has its own verbiage. It has its own language. It's much like we read about in Nehemiah chapter 13 where Nehemiah was talking about the, the people and they could couldn't speak the Jewish language, but they could speak the language of Ashdod. The world in which we find ourselves, they speak a language that's much foreign than ours. We speak a language that seeks to honor God. They speak a language that doesn't give any thought to honoring God. How many times in a day, and we could just raise our hand probably, how many times in a day do you hear the name of God taken in vain? People give absolutely no thought to just throwing God's name around and using it in such dishonoring ways and such horrible ways, and that's the world in which we live. 
And if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, then pretty soon I become desensitized to that language. And pretty soon my desensitization, y'all know what I'm saying. The fact that I become desensitized to that, I, now suddenly I'm not desensitized to it anymore. I'm enamored by it. I'm out here using it in words that might have caused me to recoil at one point in time. Now suddenly, they roll off me like water's off a duck's back. They don't affect me any longer. So how can I, how can I live a life that is demonstrating godliness? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, through the context that we're noticing this morning, I want you to notice that when you look at verse number 24, we have a choice to make. There's a choice that must be made as we think about honoring and obeying God. Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So in verse 16, verse 24, I should say, we have a choice. If any man, now that's a decision that we're going to have to make, a decision that each person needs to make. So I've made that choice. And in that process, I'm going to be willing to deny myself. If any man would come after me, desires to come after me, let him deny himself and let him Take up his own cross and follow me. So I see in this 24th verse here that there's a choice. I'm going to follow Jesus. There's a denial. I'm no longer going to be following my own wishes and my own desires in this life. But there's also a burden to carry. It's called what? The cross. But it's your cross. Folks, this is the unique thing about Christianity. We enjoy a common salvation. Amen? There is no temptation that has fallen upon us but such as is common to man. There are things that we have in common. We have a common Savior. We have a common destination that we're headed to. But then there are so many things about Christianity that are totally uncommon. The temptations brother Adam's fate, that Brother Adam faces, they may not be a burden for me. The things I struggle with, they might bother no one else in this room. Each one of us has our own what? Cross. That's why Paul would write in the book of Galatians, that we're to be ready to help bear one another's burdens, but then at the same time I have to be ready to bear my own burdens because they're mine. They are mine, and I have to be ready to, to bear those burdens so that I have a burden to bear, but then there's also, as we think about, a direction. I pick up my cross, I carry my burdens, and I follow Jesus. He's the one I'm following. And that's part of this 
discipleship choice that I make. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, I have to make a choice. And everyone has to make that choice. Is there anybody in this world that's a Christian that you would like to say, he's standing in for me? The most godly person you know, the most godly man or woman, would you like to be able to make the choice and say, he's standing in for me? Anybody come to your mind? It doesn't work that way though, does it? It doesn't. Why would, you, why would that person's mind, per, name come to your mind? They have demonstrated to you what? Godliness. You look at them, and I asked the question earlier, what does godliness look like? In your mind, it looks like whom? Him or her. So now, as we think about the choice, the denial, the burden, the direction, now look at verse 25. Verse 25, now he says, uh, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Does that not sound paradoxical? If you're striving to save your life, you're going to what? Lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, you're going to what? Find it. Find it. Save it. That, that doesn't make sense, does it? Not when you look at it from what point of view? A worldview. But when we look at it from a biblical view. Folks, my life has been hid. Y'all know where I'm going with this? What I'm thinking about? Remember when Paul says, your life is hid in Christ. Because Christ is my life. Paradoxical. I've got to lose myself in Jesus. So I can be saved by whom? Jesus. So now, notice verse 26. He goes on and he says, Now for what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? As I look out in the room this morning, I see people. Each one of you possesses a soul that you've never seen. And it's the most valuable thing you possess. True or false? True. 
The most valuable thing we've ever and will ever possess in our life is something we have never, ever, ever seen. What will a man give? Who has gone down in infamy, selling his birthright for a bowl of soup? Anybody know? Who, Brother Adam? Esau. Esau. Esau came in famished, he thought. I need a bowl of that red stew, or I'm going to what? I'm going to die. He just traded that away. Why, why would he do that? Because that birthright that was his had no meaning, had no value to him when at that moment. Esau let the moment control him. And then later on we find out that he sought that birthright with tears. But it was already gone. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Once again, this is one of those, this is one of those questions and one of those burning questions that you have to answer. I can't answer it for you, and you can't answer it for me. Is there anything in this world that you would say? I would trade my soul for that. If there is, then Jesus cautions you. That's the most horrible trade you will ever make in your life. Continuing. Now verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels and then He will reward each according to His work. So in verse number 26, we have an evaluation to make. I've got to evaluate things. I've got to evaluate the things of the world with the value of my soul. And then in verse number 27, as he's bringing these thoughts, he says, now there's a reward that I have to consider. You know, there's things about God that we just need to uh, be reminded of, and one of them is the fact He is a rewarding God. God is a promising God. God is a covenant God. God is a loving God but God is also a rewarding God. That's why we have passages such as uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, where we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of God and we will receive. We will receive our reward based upon the things we've done with our body, whether they be what, good or bad. He's going to reward us. He's a rewarding God. 
And when we look at verse 27, he's a rewarding God. He is one that is coming with his angels. He's coming in his glory, Jesus is. And he is going to reward each according to his works. So now we've noticed in Matthew 16, 24 through 27, several aspects of this, this context. And, but I want us to, to push on just a little bit further. Because we're wanting to identify what does genuine discipleship or what does godly living, what's it look like? Number one, it looks like courage. Anybody disagree? It takes courage to live the Christian life. Anybody disagree with that statement? It takes courage. When you decide to become a Christian... You immediately associate yourself with whom? The masses or the few? The few. We'll discuss that later on. But we make a choice. I'm going to be with the few. Now, folks, what's the old adage? There's strength in... When I decide decide and you decide to be a Christian and live a godly life, we have... We have separated ourselves from the numbers, from the masses. But it takes courage. And that's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 13 when he says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. It takes courage to stand for that which is right. And one of my former elders, he would say this often. He would say, oftentimes you have to stand alone just so you can prove to yourself you can stand. Folks, oftentimes it's sort of a, seems like a very lonely place. And it takes courage to stay there and to withstand all of the problems and difficulties that that are going to come our way because of the stance we've taken for Christianity, but the stand is absolutely worth it. We've referenced Noah already this morning in Genesis chapter 6, and just think about uh, the courage it took for him. Folks, every time I see a rainbow in the sky, what am I reminded of? The promise that God is never going to destroy the world again with water. Am I at a better vantage point than Noah was? Number one, I know what rain is. Noah didn't know. Noah didn't know what a rain cloud looked like, or he didn't know what rain looked like. He didn't know what a flood was. But what he did have was God's promise and encourage Noah did what God required of him to do. So Noah is an example of one that is courageous. 
And I need to strive to demonstrate that same courage. Now, I'm not courageous in and of my own. I've got a son. He's a fireman. Fireman in the city of Irving. And you know where firemen go? They go places everybody else is running away from. That's, that's part of their job description. They're like policemen. They're like the military. They're running into places everybody else flees from. Well, my son is wired that way. His dear old daddy is not. If there's a burning building, I'm not running into it. But he will. I pray every day when he goes to that fire station that he what? Comes home safe. Because it's few and far between now with their protocols and stuff, but still firemen will what? Lose their lives. And you know what he tells me every time I bring this up to him? This is something I think that is important. Because I'll say, what are, you, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? He says, Daddy, I'm not. I fall back on my training. Is there a lesson in that for you and I as Christians? When we have those moments where we are challenged to be courageous, we don't need to do a whole lot of thinking. We need to fall back on what? Our training. And knowing that God has equipped me to do what? Face every trial and temptation. Not in and of myself, but with the power of God. Remaining godly in a godless world will be demonstrated by courage. And then secondly, it'll be demonstrated by continuing. Continuing. Something like John wrote in Revelation 2 and verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and you'll receive the crown of life. So we are to continue. There are some things I want to just highlight for us this morning as we think of these thoughts, and we'll be moving through these pretty rapidly. Number one, we need to continue uh, with the Lord. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 23. He had seen the grace of God and was continuing with the Lord. Acts chapter 11 and verse 23. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 43, they're encouraged to continue in the grace of God. Continue in the grace of God. Once again in Acts 14, 22, continue in the faith. So now when you look at these particular contexts and you look at 
Acts chapter 14, you look at Acts chapter 13, and you look at Acts chapter 11. Of course, Acts chapter 11, that's going to be in the account of the uh, Cornelius and his conversion. First Gentile that's going to be obedient to the gospel. And so now we have him and continue with the Lord as he had seen the grace of God. But then Romans 11 and verse 22, we are, yeah, 11, 22, we are continue to continue in the goodness of God. Now, I've hurried through those because I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, because as Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and we look at now verse 23, but we want to start our context in verse 19. And this is talking about reconciliation in Christ, as my New Testament has it, uh, the heading for this context. But if you'll notice in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, the Bible reads, For it pleased the Father that in Him all fullness should dwell. The previous verse is talking about the preeminence of Christ and how that He ought to be the preeminent one in our life and in Him all the fullness of God dwells. So when we look at Christ, we are looking at the fullness of the Godhead. God has revealed Himself in His Son Jesus and when we see Him, then we are able to understand all the fullness of God dwells in Him and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. Jesus is the great reconciler. Any of you ever been estranged with someone in your life? You've had a difficulty come up and that's caused a separation? And maybe it got to the point where someone else had to come in and do what? Work to help resolve the difference. We call that person in the middle of what? A mediator. And the mediator's work is to bring two parties that are separated from one another to what? Reconciliation. To resolve the issue. Now, Jesus is the great reconciler, whether of things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, he has now reconciled in his body, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. If indeed you continue grounded and steadfast in the faith, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Continue in the gospel. Now, we could spend a lot of time this morning, and it would be beneficial, and we could go through and we could outline and identify all of these terms that Paul is talking about in this particular context. And we would benefit greatly from that study. But the reality of it is in the word if. And look in verse number 23. If you continue. Folks, this is going to be something I'm going to bring up again and again in our time to be together. 
whether I live godly in a godless world is a choice I have to make. And this little two-letter word, if, if you continue, it is striking at that very point. This is a conditional phrase. All the things that we mentioned and you can read about from verses 19 down through 23, these things are yours and more if you continue to stay with the things you've known and the things that you've learned. Now, we're going to move to the third thing. We talk about what does, what does um, this look like, this life of living godly? Well, it looks like a person of courage. It looks like someone who continues. And it looks like someone who rises to the challenge. To the challenge. Any of you in here think of yourself as, I'm, I'm that guy. Why do we remember uh, more than one thing, but what's one of the most uh, memorable things we know about Caleb? How old was he when he said, give me this mountain? Eighty. Caleb was a man who rose to the challenge. And so as we think about rising to the challenge, that indicates, number one, there is a challenge. And then also, we see the disposition of heart and mind that causes me to rise up to it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is what? Not vain in the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 16 is another context where we find many valuable truths that are contained for us. Paul writes and he says, not that I've already obtained. Paul says, I, I'm, I'm not satisfied with where I am. I've not already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was, uh, also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. You can read the rest of this, but I'm trying to save us time. And I want to come to this point. This, this really challenges me and humbles me. When you get to the end of verse 12, and Paul says, I want to lay hold on that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. What is that? Brethren, Christ laid hold on us for a purpose. Did he not? Christ took hold of me. Now Paul is saying, he took hold of me and I want to lay hold of that for which he took hold of me. Folks, we could simply say this. Why, why did Jesus grab a hold of you? So that you might one day lay hold on heaven. 
Now, there may be a lot more in that that we could discuss, but folks, that's, that's the end goal. Christ laid hold of me so that I might one day lay hold of heaven. My question is, will that cause us to have to rise to the challenge? Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that I'm already being poured out. And he's going to talk about the time of my departure has come. And he's going to talk about the fact that I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. And henceforth, there is laid up for me crown of righteousness but not for me only, but for all those who have loved his appearing. When we think about what Paul is challenging, demonstrating, showing us that he did, I realize I've got to continue to have courage. I've got to continue to rise up and meet the challenge of doing those three things. Fight the good fight of the faith. Finish the race and keep the faith. And then I will receive the crown of life. I must be faithful unto death. And yet I wholeheartedly know that if I will do my part, that God will do his. And in Philippians, the fourth chapter and verse 13 and I don't want to abuse this verse from a context, but I think it bears repeating. I, and we might just stop right here, and we'll just do the wave of the hand. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. How is godly living demonstrated? By having courage, by continuing, and by rising up to meet the challenge, we will be victorious. I thank you all for your wonderful attention this morning and uh, let you out way before 2 o'clock, so I should be everybody in here's best friend. I have truly enjoyed myself and appreciate every one of you being here, and I pray that some of the things that I've said have been encouraging, that they have been uh, that which you needed to hear today. And I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you all.